Welcome to All the Light We Can Carry. I'm Mary Elise Stark. All the Light That We Can Carry is hosted by myself as well as two of my beautiful, amazing, talented sisters, Linnea Brand and Leah Wilcox. And this is our first episode. So today we are introducing ourselves. We're also talking about why we chose the name All the Light We Can Carry. We are explaining what we mean by light and by carrying light. And we're talking about the connection between light and truth and wisdom and the needs that we see within ourselves personally to have more light, to be collectors of light that we treasure and carry with us and the needs that we see in our broader culture as well to be a people who love light, who love wisdom and who are actively gathering it. It's a precious resource and so I'm so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy this episode. Light represents truth, and in my mind, light and truth are almost synonymous, or at least they have a very synonymous symbolic meaning. So light allows us to see in the physical realm, and truth allows us to see more clearly in almost every other realm of experience, whether that's social, political, religious, in our families, science, philosophy. It's truth that is the light for us. For me, I'm just a person that I think in images. And if I can come up with an image in my head that correlates to an idea, then it kind of reveals that truth to me in a more concrete way. I can hold on to it. I can relate to it better. So when I think of the significance of light in my life, I like to think of a dark room. So if you imagine in your head that maybe it's been a stormy night and the electricity has gone out, and for some reason, despite the darkness, you have to navigate your way to the kitchen. So you come down the stairs and into your living room, which is between you and the kitchen, but yet there's no light. It's really dark. (laughs) I think it doesn't take a lot of imagination to recognize that something as simple as crossing your living room suddenly becomes a little treacherous (laughs) when there are no lights on. You know, you have a couch to navigate and there's potentially tables and lamps and maybe the kids left some toys on the floor and all of those present obstacles that, you know, as silly as it sounds, could actually hurt you. (laughs) You can trip and smash some essential body part (laughs) when you don't have enough light to see. And so in that experience, I think we would all really appreciate a little bit of light, even just a little flashlight would make all the difference for us to be able to safely get across the living room and into our kitchen. And so I think that that kind of symbolically shares the value of light to me and why I wanted to do a podcast that was titled All the Light We Can Carry. I feel like we are in a world where we're navigating quite a bit of darkness. And I think that we We want and need those essential little packets of truth that can become the lights that light our way. 
Just to draw on the metaphor that you used in terms of trying to navigate a dark room and the potential hazards, just for me, my life experiences have just kind of illustrated that when I stumble up against things, whether it's in relationships or life endeavors, just what, whatever it is, I, I sometimes feel like, like I'm coming up against an obstacle that I can't see that's keeping me from being successful, that's inflicting pain for myself or others. And the resolution is consistently some piece of truth, some principle that I need. It's a light. (laughs) It is that flashlight that enables me to continue to, to progress, to move past the obstacle, to quit inflicting pain on myself or others as I find that light that I'm missing. Another a, a metaphor that often comes to mind for me is, well, it's kind of twofold. And, and I think light is relevant to both, but I think of Paul saying that we see through a glass darkly. And particularly in my relationships, right now it seems super relevant. It always has, but I'm just it's just a growing awareness for me that that the people that I love, I only see them partially. There's so much more to them. And I recognize that as I learn to see people as, you know, new things, new characteristics are revealed to me that I can value, but they've been there the whole time, but I haven't always seen them. And so just a desire to really see and understand those that I interact with more clearly. I feel like if we see through a glass darkly, we were, we're maybe always wearing sunglasses. So any additional light is super helpful because there's already sort of an obscured ability to see. And it's the second metaphor that I think light is not so obvious, but it's just about clarity, which is light. But I I feel like I'm trying, I'm trying to piece together a puzzle. And so it remains a partial picture, although I get new pieces to add that add just a little bit of clarity. And that's just exciting to sort of see things kind of take shape and mean, have more meaning, including the people, to reference back to that part that I value about light is being able to see people more clearly. I, it's, it's just an exciting, I love puzzling. It's kind of a mystery to it. It's sometimes frustrating. It's not easy, but being able to add new pieces to the picture as I navigate life and just have some, some new clarity is just a process I value. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I hadn't really thought of it that way before, that truth and light, by helping us see each other more clearly. Almost always when you see someone else more clearly, you have more compassion and love really naturally follows. It's really when we aren't seeing people, we're seeing them as less than human or not seeing them in a whole way. All we can see is their faults and that's all we see, that then we're unable to love. And I, I really appreciate and that tie into to that light and truth enhances our relationships and our ability to love. I appreciate that a lot. I love both those metaphors. And I and I have been struck every time I read it that we see through a glass darkly and I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It's so frustrating. But any any bit of light is such a gift. It's so enabling. Even as Leah says, if, you know, the sunglasses are here to stay, at least there's light in the room, you know, at least, at least you can find your way. 
I just feel like light is such a gift. Recently, a fellow shared a story of an adventure that he had. It was scuba diving. So he was on an adventure with uh, with a whole bunch of men, his brothers and uncles and his dad. And, and he's an adventurous spirit. And apparently not everyone of his party was as adventurous as him. And he, they'd had this adventure where they'd met sharks one day. And he was giddy about it and excited. And he made some mistakes where I guess there's this place where you dive down and there's this pole in the water. And if you tap on the pole, the sharks in the area have been conditioned to respond to the vibrations from that pole. They think they're going to get fed. And this is a way that divers can, you know, have encounters with sharks. They can meet, (laughs) make friends. (laughs) And he was excited about meeting and making friends, but had forgotten to bring food. So, <laughs> so anyway, and he didn't tell the rest of that story, like how he escaped that, but I think it made an impression on him. Nevertheless, he proposed to his group the next day to go night diving, to go diving in the nighttime. And it was kind of hard to convince some of them that they all eventually did. And so obviously not a comfortable thing for most people. It wouldn't be for me. I've been snorkeling and it was both euphoric and terrifying in broad daylight for me to be in that much water and see so much going on around me and feeling a little bit out of control and stuff like that anyway. So they go and they leap off the boat. They were headed for a coral reef and he starts swimming and tries to turn on his flashlight. So he has a underwater flashlight and and this is the first time that he recognizes that his flashlight's dead. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's swimming in the dark. And not only that, but in his excitement, he kind of went a different way than the rest of his group. So he's swimming in the dark. And suddenly he's remembering that experience with the sharks the day before. He can't see anything, but he's sure that he's swimming with sharks. And he swims as fast. He doesn't really know where he's going. And he bumps up against something really sharp. He's actually swum into the coral and cut himself. So now he knows he's bleeding. (laughs) (laughs) And he's got sharks on his mind. And he says, you know, as he's relating this story, he just talks about just how overwhelming that fear was for him. And then he can hear other members of his group and he swims towards the sounds and then he can start to see their light and he gets there as fast as he can. Obviously he's highly motivated and he gets to his dad and his, he said it was like a spotlight. His dad had a functioning flashlight and he could, he could see and, and the world was so beautiful. Like he could see the colors and the textures and all of the, you know, all of the wildlife, just this, great beauty. And he said, yeah, there were some sharks, but there was also this beautiful illuminated world. I thought of the contrast of how how my life is in the dark and how much of my life I feel like I've swam with the sharks in the dark, just afraid. And how powerful 
a ray of light is to dispel, you know, you recognize, well, yeah, there are sharks, but there's also this coral reef. There's also all these textures and colors and this adventure. And it goes from being something overwhelmingly terrifying to cool. It's a gift. I think, you know, light, which equals truth is a gift. Yeah, I really love that. I love that you've brought into it that that light dispels fear, that light and fear are kind of in opposition to each other. And so the more light you have, the less you need to be fearful. And also that light just brings beauty into our life. The beauty is there. And sometimes because of where we're looking or because of the sunglasses that you have both mentioned, um, we just can't see the beauty, but it is there. We're ta- we've talked a lot about light, but the idea of carrying light. I think one of our family's favorite activities has been going to the beaches in Oregon. And we love to look for agates on the beaches. And we can spend literally hours and hours finding these agates and collecting them, putting them in our pockets. And then when we come home, we try to decorate with them and do fun things with them. But I just have an image in my head uh of all of us as the human family learning to do that, learning to kind of be beachcombers. I sometimes think of truth also as pearls in so much sand. There's so much sand to sift through, so much beach pebbles to sift through to find those little precious uh, pearls or agates of light and truth that we then want to put in our pocket and carry with us and keep with us to be the light that we that we carry. And it will be a blessing to us and to also those who are traveling with us. So in this podcast, we're, we're seeking light, we're searching for light. And then when we find it, we want to put it in our pockets and carry it with us. What were some of the earliest lessons or experiences in our lives that we think oriented us toward valuing the search for light and for truth? Our dad read to us. We rarely had a television in our home. When we did, it was, you know, because of an act of charity by one of our friends or neighbors who felt sorry for us for not having this thing, you know, this this gift in our home. So our entertainment was largely, well, you know, besides children playing, was our dad reading out loud to us in the evenings. And I can remember this conflict with mom and dad. Dad was loving uh, Zane Grey novels. And (laughs) I remember him reading one to us. And um, I I have some of those copies. They're heirlooms now, but it's those are terrible. (laughs) They're so badly written. And uh, yeah, kind of a if there's morality, you know, it's kind of a primitive. <laughs> anyway, so dad wanted to read Zane Grey to us and mom could barely tolerate it. And she talked him into, into reading Louisa May Alcott. So dad read, I think he read an old fashioned rose to us before he read Little Women. I can't remember for sure the chron- chronology, but I remember just being moved by the lessons that, you know, the girls learned through their experiences and, and kind of wanting to mirror that, like that struck me. And he also read The Yearling, which again, was about relationships, ultimately, 
um, and where the red fern grows. Just really good stories, you know, that made me think, you know, that made me consider motives. Yeah. I dad reading to us, I think, is was huge in our in our development. It gave us a love for learning. I think it taught us how to really listen really well, which is kind of key to learning. I think it taught us to love uh, to read ourselves, and which obviously is a doorway to a lot of learning if you love to read. And yeah, it just became a, a central theme of our family, those nights of listening to my dad read. When Linnea shares the Zane Gray, Louisa May Alcott differentiation with mom and dad, I just, I'm thinking, wow, it's kind of, if early on in that relationship, because as a child, I'm not thinking at all about what's the relationship dynamic between my parents. But as someone who's been married for 30 years now, I think about the evolution of my own relationship. And this is not direct to your question, but I, but I do think it has some relevance. It's just interesting how our different ways of identifying with the world, like dad identified with the Zane Gray Western, the cowboy, the sort of rough and rustic and mom with Louisa May Alcott, you know, totally different sorts of personas there. But I think about how dad cries when he watches like a Jane Austen film and how, like how those two, how those two very distinct parts of their personalities have sort of become a little bit of a hybrid for both of them. Mom is a a brave and courageous farmer, you know, raising berries and starting this business on her own. So in terms of, of truth and how we approach it, it's interesting how we influence each other and become, well, our natures are changed in that process and, and the outcome of those changes has a lot to do with the people that we make that journey with. And so, yeah, reading for sure. And I think I don't, I'm trying to remember some concrete conversations about what we read, we definitely discussed things that we were experiencing. So we'd go to school and come home and share experiences and we'd talk about it. I remember, well, sometimes I felt like there was a little bit of maybe lecturing in our family culture. There, there were a lot of opportunities. There were a lot of questions, which I think helps me to investigate my experiences and process them, try to analyze them a little bit. And I don't remember if we specifically drew in conversation on, you know, Bilbo the Hobbit and his adventures and his experiences, because that was, you know, dad read, um, what is that book? Um, the Hobbit <laughs> and the, the Hobbit, all of the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of think that we might've done that in conversation because it just seems to be sort of second nature to me to sometimes as I'm reading, identify myself with the characters and with, the conflicts that they encounter and then try to see some parallels to my experiences and what I encounter. So sort of drawing from fictional experiences to find relative truths for myself. But I think our discussions that we had would encourage that sort of analysis and give an opportunity for me, I process verbally. So I learn from my experiences as I, I feel like if it's a puzzle, I, I kind of spit the pieces out on the table and get to look at them as I talk about it. It was very valuable to me that we, we talked a lot and we, there were different perspectives that helped in that analysis and th those were shared pretty openly. And I just remember 
dad particularly asking questions, what do you think? I remember asking him, well, dad, like, give me the answer. Like what? I, I need it. I need this problem solved. What's the answer? And him saying, well, what do you think? And not just supply. I knew he, I knew he had some answers that would be helpful and it would be so much easier for him to just give it to me and I could move on. But he really encouraged that thinking for ourselves in certain contexts that I'm super grateful for. Yeah, I think uh, just listening to you talk, I think of one of the things about our family culture is that I think there are individuals within our family who are good at small talk, but small talk is not our family culture. And when I say small talk, I'm not disparaging. I deeply admire people who can talk to anyone about anything, and that's not my gift. It's <laughs> the art of making others comfortable. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so our family, it's just over the years, I think, with dad setting a foundation of reading a lot to us, and then both mom and dad, on Sundays in particular, we always had a big Sunday dinner together, and then afterwards, dad again would read to us more often on Sundays from more religious texts, and that always launched into conversations, and over time, it became a thing for our family. It's not unusual after a holiday meal or a Sunday meal for our family to just stay at the table for five hours <laughs> talking really <laughs> intensely about politics and religion and psychology and just, you know, and it's a actually, I think, a deep need for some of us in our family to be able to talk with other people and talk on that level. It's something that really uh, feeds us. And sometimes we take it too far. I know in the last few years, I've noticed mom in particular saying, okay, everyone, <laughs> let's take a deep breath and maybe we could play a game for a little bit. This is getting really intense. <laughs> and so yeah, that has really shaped us, both our desire to learn and then our desire to be able to talk about it and to process things verbally and to share what we're super excited about having recently learned. And so I think that that's just key for us in in launching this podcast as far as a motivation. It's kind of just in our culture as a family and in our characters to want to share uh, what we're learning and to want to process what we're learning with other people. So my next question is, why did each of us want to participate in a podcast? I think I've kind of talked about that just now, just a little bit, that we just, we have this innate desire to talk to share, to share what we're learning. I think, though, I also wanted to kind of talk about the fact that for each of us, this means a kind of addressing fears. And none of us feel really completely comfortable with this. We have definite vulnerabilities. And yet there's been some things that have tipped us past that vulnerability into being willing to just jump in. It's like <laughs> my personality, especially, I hate jumping in cold water. And so I can stand at the edge of a swimming pool for a very long time, <laughs> just looking and trying to persuade myself, yeah, I want to jump. I want to jump. It will be okay when I jump. <laughs> and I think with doing a podcast that there's to some extent, a similar feeling of like, yeah, we want to jump, but <laughs> there's some vulnerabilities to get past to, to get us to jump. And there's some ideas that have been key for me in kind of 
getting me to jump, getting me past that place of vulnerability. I'm just an avid YouTube watcher and I like to watch a lot of different people. And I've run across some speeches by Denzel Washington, where he was speaking at graduation ceremonies at colleges. And I just think he's had some really, really profound things to say. And one of the things that he said, he was quoting Nelson Mandela, and he said, there is no passion to be found playing small and settling for a life that's less than the one that you are capable of living. And then he goes on to say, true desire in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand to indicate that it's already yours. And then he repeats himself. He says, I'll say it again. True desire in the heart, that itch that you have, whatever it is that you want to do, that thing you want to do to help others and to grow, that desire, that itch, that's God's proof to you sent beforehand already to indicate that it's yours. I just love that idea. I love that quote. I think that each of us would say that throughout all of our adult years that we've had an urge to write. We've had an urge to put our voices out there, our our ideas, the things that we believe, the things that we're learning. We've wanted to put it out there. And I think motherhood and busyness and all kinds of things have kept us from doing that. And I think we've just decided to trust what Denzel Washington calls that itch, (laughs) to trust that it's planted in our hearts for a reason. And as Nelson Mandela said as well, that we don't want to end our lives feeling like that we lived a life that's less than the life that we are capable of living. And I feel like With those things kind of in our hearts and our minds, I feel like we've decided that we're doing this. We're jumping in to the deep end and we'll see if we sink or swim. (laughs) What do you two want to add to that? Well, doing a podcast wasn't on my radar. It wasn't on my dream list, but, but words, finding a way to share words to, you know, to just piece together with words, the little bits of light that have been gifted to me, just, you know, uh, beautiful perspectives at dawn. I love stories. I love fiction. I love just being able to be transported to another place and learn from someone's experience and to have your perspective widened you know, by seeing something that you hadn't considered before. And I have long wanted to be able to offer that gift, but, you know, I have been swimming in the, in the dark with sharks (laughs) and, and afraid. And, and I know just because of things that I've read and things that have occurred to me that I have to, I have to do it. You know, I have to try or I will just be sad that I didn't. So this is an, this is an opportunity within the realm. You know, I mean, we're we're dealing in words, and we're hoping to share little bits of light that we've collected, and you know, as we journey and gather more, that would be my response. Yeah, thank you. How about you, Leah? I'm, I'm hoping I can put words to the thoughts, but I feel like Denzel Washington articulated a truth that has that I felt I just haven't had words 
quite like his, but I have yeah. had this feeling that if I feel inclined, that's the itch. He calls it an itch. If I have this desire to do something, it's easy for me to repress because of the sharks. It doesn't feel safe, but it won't go away. And I've determined that that's in part because truth, that's the nature of truth. I feel like when I try to, so there's like, I feel like we all have gifts, something that we, we can offer and, and they're in embryo. They need to be developed, but they're in there. And I think the scary part is that we'd rather have a fully formed, perfected gift and then lay it before the world. But we can't get to that without venturing, without building it first. And, and that kind of is a public process to some extent. We do, we do that in the company of others. And so I think that back to the truth part of it, that it's, that I lie to myself when I try to stifle the itch. I'm telling myself that I don't have this gift that God did give me <laughs> and that I don't need to develop it. And I can never rest easy with that. When you came to Linnea and I and said, I want to do a podcast, I felt from the way that you shared that with us, that this was your itch. It wasn't something I had been thinking about doing, wasn't on my radar either, but not having really the words, uh, the best I could maybe describe it is I just felt like this is a good thing. This is not a coincidence. This is needful. And I don't, and that may sound a little arrogant because I don't feel like, yeah, the world will be rocked and shaped by our conversations. <laughs> but I do feel like these gifts will help us in that clarity we're seeking to see ourselves. And as we see ourselves, we see others. So it kind of maybe scrubs off a little of the dark glass through which we see, and it will always inevitably benefit more than ourselves. I, I believe that our journey is, is individual in that each of us has, uh, we experience life uniquely. Nobody else experiences life like the three of us, <laughs> like Marilee, like you, Linnea, like you, or like me. That's what I'm trying to say is that while our journey is unique to us, we have to, we impact each other so much in that journey together. And I think about the guy who wanted everyone to go diving with him. I'm thinking, no wonder they were reluctant, <laughs> but what a cool, like he had an itch and, and they kind of caught the contagion and merely you have an itch. And so we're diving in with the sharks, but there will be a light. I mean, I, just because of the, the part, the itch is the light that we're developing, that we're unveiling and it's a process, but then it helps us to see in this, you know, astounding experience all these things that we couldn't see if we didn't make the dive and maybe you run into the coral reef and you're bleeding and you bring the sharks to us no I'm just kidding <laughs> but you know I don't feel like I'm seeing this well but I think people that hear it will know what I'm saying because they experience it too this just that need for us to brave individually so that collectively we all benefit I think that's excellent I well, love that uh, brave yeah. individually so that we benefit collectively yeah I agree with that. And I love how you said that um, that building our gifts is a public process. <laughs> yeah, you don't want it to be sometimes. Not no. at all. But, it, but if we could just like accept that and just be like, okay, <laughs> hey, y'all, <laughs> here we go. And also um, remembering that we're building our gifts publicly. Be generous to others who are you know, doing the same, whether they realize it or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
The next thing we wanted to talk about were just what were some of the difficult decisions that we had to make as we were thinking about how to launch this podcast. One of my big concerns was how to talk about truth in a way that would be universal. I think that we live in a world that is getting kind of tribal. There's a lot of us and theming going on and saying, oh, you're part of us, and but you're part of them. And that's one of the things that I really, really dislike. I, I love the idea that we're all part of the human family. In my language, I would say that we're all children of God, literally brothers and sisters, and that we have much more in common with each other than what separates us. And so we wanted to be able to talk about our values and the things that we believe, and yet be as universal as possible. But that felt a little bit difficult. And so we want to share that we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that that is foundational to us. A lot of what we believe and our language and our culture arises from that theology. And yet in the same breath, we want to be able to share some things about our theology that I feel like invite everyone, whatever tribe you think you belong to, to be able to still participate. And I think if you are not familiar with our church, and even maybe if you are, there's some some things that maybe you don't know about our theology that, honestly, uh, what I'm about to share with you is one of the reasons that I stay in this church and that I embrace this theology. So uh, when it comes to truth, there is one of our leaders named John Taylor who, this is what he said about truth. He sa- and he said, a man, but I'm going to say a man or woman, <laughs> a man or woman in search of truth has no peculiar system to sustain, no peculiar dogma to defend, or theory to uphold. He embraces all truth, and that truth, like the sun in the firmament, shines forth and spreads its effulgent rays over all creation. If men will divest themselves of bias and prejudice and prayerfully and conscientiously search after truth, They will find it wherever they turn their attention. He goes on to say that the great religious leaders of the world, such as Mohammed, Confucius, and the Reformers, as well as philosophers including Socrates, Plato, and others, received a portion of God's light. Moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations and to bring a higher level of understanding to to individuals. And then one more thing, one more quote to share with you is from another leader named David O. McKay. He said, members of the church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, are admonished to acquire learning by study and also by faith and prayer, and to seek after everything that is virtuous, lovely, of good report, or praiseworthy. In this seeking after truth, they are not confined to narrow limits of dogma or creed but are free to launch into the realm of the infinite. For they know that truth is truth where'er tis found. I just love that. I love that our religion essentially believes that, that truth is everywhere and that all truth is connected. 
all truth intersects somewhere. Sometimes we separate out scientific truth and philosophical truth and, you know, we put truth in their different realms. And I think there's, there's some utility to that. I think that can be helpful. And yet, at some place, all truths kind of intersect and come together to make a complete picture. But I love that in the context of my theology that I am encouraged to uh, be open to truth anywhere. I can very comfortably sit down and listen to a, a Buddhist teacher and with an open heart and an open mind be able to glean grains of truth from what they have to say. I can listen to an atheist. I can read Charles Darwin and look for uh, threads of truth that I can collect into my basket of truth, if you will. I love that that for me, it removes a lot of fear. It removes a lot of a lot of that us and them. It really enables me to just look about me and recognize, you know, we're all God's children. He loves each and every one of us. And I think the central thing that we have to be is is open and teachable and seeking, and then we will be able to learn. And that's true from any of his children from any culture or nation across the earth. And so I can learn from everybody. And we just want to really set that as a foundation because we want to be able to talk in our language, which is often a religious language. But we would hope that in this podcast, both us as as speakers and anyone who listens can kind of adopt that philosophy of, you know, we're just searching for those pearls in the sand, and we're not going to be prejudiced about what language they come in or what culture they come in. We're more interested in do they bring more light into lives, and do they function? Do they help our lives to function better? And for that to be the measure versus is this coming from my own particular language or culture. Lene and Leah, do you have anything you want to add to that? No, just that I wholeheartedly agree. I love those quotes. Yeah. I love that premise of, you know, of openness to each other and acknowledging truth wherever you find it. Well, then our next thing that we saw as a potential stumbling block was just the question of expertise. And we recognize that in worldly terms that there's not a lot that would say that we're experts on the truth, <laughs> I think. And so we had to talk about, well, how do we, how do we be so audacious <laughs> as to say we have something to say about truth? And I think, I think that we came up with a few answers. I think one answer is just simply to us that if you really engage with life and are thoughtful, and if you combine that with a love of learning, then life can teach us a lot. <laughs> I, I don't think that, um, while I think education is super valuable, and I think we need to learn all that we can, yet, on the other hand, I don't think that a formal education is essential for us to be able to become wise. And I think that's a mercy from God, that wisdom is not um, exclusive to a PhD, for example. I think that we can 
look around us. And one person that just comes to my mind is a farmer I met in Kentucky. And one thing that's unique about our particular church culture is that on Sundays we teach each other and we we take turns teaching each other. And there's not a preacher that gets up every Sunday to preach, but rather members of the congregation take turns. And so each have an opportunity to share what we've been learning and to kind of develop that skill to some extent. And anyway, I was living for in this small town in Kentucky where most of the people were tobacco farmers and honestly just not a lot of education amongst them. Yet this one day in church just stands out. Sorry, just don't know why that would make me emotional, but I could just see it in my mind of this very, very humble farmer without a lot of sophisticated language, obviously without a lot of education, but a man who had learned to love the truth and learned in the context of the vocabulary that he had to think and to ponder really deeply. And it's just a moment that's crystallized in my mind of a time when I witnessed wisdom and it came to him because I think that light and truth and intelligence are deeply interconnected. And so while we may not have opportunities for really formal education, that doesn't mean that we can't be wise because it is light and truth that makes us wise. And, and we each can seek that in whatever realm that we're in. I think that's super beautiful. I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm jumping in to add to it, but at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, just say it, the end, and we'll see you next time, because <laughs> it's beautiful, and it's so profound, I, but but I just, I think of the apostles of Jesus Christ being humble fishermen, and I think about how I mentioned earlier, looking at stories as we are a story reading family, and trying to find truths applicable to myself, and really the story the scriptures, the word of God is, is that they're stories of individuals and in terms of qualifications that the world might espouse for imparting wisdom. I don't know how many scriptural individuals would rank really high, but we learned so much truth from how truth was imparted to them and how they, how they tried to apply it successfully and not successfully and partially and wholly and And really, I believe that what you said about all the different sources of truth, it's all the sources are are God's children, and he imparts truth to all of us in his love and mercy and desire for us to not have to exist in the dark (laughs) and to be able to learn by our experiences. So we do bump into things, but um, be able to recover and learn how to surmount the obstacles and because we come from so many different cultures and different ways of approaching experience and truth, all those things that we have the huge benefit of sharing our stories with each other and benefiting from the unique experiences that others have had that, that enables us to see parts of truth. We might not be able to glean on our own journey, but their journey helps us to see something because they're, because they're on a path we may not tread but it adds light to the path we're on. And I, I just, I love that we can all share our stories and that God has drawn on the stories of very humble and potentially less educated people who have offered 
invaluable insights for all of us as we journey. I think it's kind of funny. This is a tangent a little bit, but I think it's kind of funny to mention because I really appreciate Denzel Washington and his quotes, and I've listened to several speeches by him and gleaned a lot. But it's it's funny, our, our need to defend ourselves, you know, and that we have something valid to say, and yet we live in a culture where uh, movie stars are like... <laughs> are like the spokesman for everything and (laughs) somehow being an actor makes you really wise. (laughs) Well, I will say there was this woman at Home Depot who told me this thing once. (laughs) 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 I seriously, it's kind of funny. I don't know how many times people have stopped me specifically at Home Depot. So yay. (laughs) And, like, they've had this thing to share with me. Like, one woman about parenting and another woman about being creative seriously. Like, hey, I have this thing to tell you. And I'm like, great. I'm glad I came to Home Depot today. <laughs> uh, that's really cool. <laughs> um, just a couple more things. One is that I just, I want to briefly just mention about why this podcast now. And I will say that I feel like, since COVID hit that it's been kind of a big shift for me in both in just time. And I feel like it kind of woke me up to certain things. And I think everyone can look at 2020 and say, wow, you know, there was some good and there was some things that were difficult. And I, I just want to mention that for me launching this podcast now, it just feels important in the sense that I personally am more aware than ever that I'm living in a world where deception is all around me. Just, I think, particularly technology comes to my mind. I find myself trying to get answers or I'm seeking for somebody who might be telling me the truth. And yet, as I'm seeking for that, I'm fully aware that, you know, media is descending giving me these little sound bites. <laughs> and I know, I know that the truth can be distorted really, really easily just by how they choose this sound bite and not that one and how they cut this and show you that. Or um, video we know can be easily manipulated. We just live in a world where it can be overwhelming. And the underlying just knowledge that like that could be true, but it might not be true. And, and I have a sense that's probably not true, but I have no idea. And so obviously we in this podcast can't solve those problems. I think there's just things that are happening in the world around us that we'll probably in our lifetimes really never know factually what happened. <laughs> Yet at the same time, it's just a, awakened with me an even deeper longing for more truth and a deeper awareness of how valuable the truth that we have is and how essential it is. Because even though there are things that are probably unanswerable, yet there are these foundational and eternal principles of light and truth that can at least help us navigate it. If not to clearly know for sure, there are these principles that are safeguards to us. And so I, I just felt like yeah, <laughs> I think it's Linnea that sometimes talks about like <laughs> her inner psyche being on her shoulder talking to her. And I feel like universally our inner psyches are like, somebody turn on the light. I cannot see anything. <laughs> it's dark in here. Hello, a light, please. That would be nice. <laughs> and so 
I feel like we can only play a really humble little part in trying to turn on some lights. But I feel like I feel like we feel a responsibility to do our part. You know, we have children and Linnea and Leah have grandchildren or Linnea is going to have a grandchild any day. <laughs> and so we we feel some responsibility to them to not just let the world descend farther and farther into darkness, but to do what we can to hang a few lights <laughs> up for others to be able to see and and to be able to navigate. I am thinking about my eldest daughter, Chandler. She's 28, and she's a mother of two. She's the reason that I'm currently a grandmother, a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And her her concerns are consistent with what you expressed, Marilee, in terms of someone turned the light on, <laughs> recognizing um, conflicting representations of truth and wanting to get to the, what, well, so where, what is the truth and how do I know when it's being presented in myriad forms so differently? And she had a thought, maybe, you know, a website, a podcast, something where somebody can do the research and she felt like I could, she could participate, but I could, how do I do it on my own and just present data <laughs> so that people could draw their own conclusions. Just like, just give us all the facts. Don't put a spin on it. Don't do a, you know, a talking point, a soundbite, just give us data. And then, and then we can all like look at it and draw our own conclusions. And I think in, in a way, this podcast can be one way to do that because we're not going to try to approach all the problems like that you mentioned um, that are sort of current issues in our, in society around the world, the pandemic, <laughs> political issues, like what, that's, that's not our objective, but I do think that the data that we present is, is real life experience and portions of light, tidbits of light that have helped us see a little more clearly in our navigation. Obviously, that's a process and we, and we don't have any kind of full picture. But as we go, we share with each other, we find the benefit in that and we want to expand that to anyone else who is interested in conversations about it. Obviously, because this is a podcast, we're not conversing with the rest of the world. But as anyone who's interested hears some of our things, I think that triggers other conversations and, and hopefully other people will have a sense of an itch that maybe they can feel a little bolder going on that nighttime dive and being able to explore new realms and share truth in new ways uh, as, and, and obviously we're not the first, other people have been doing this. And I think that also has brought courage to us. So any, any bit of light, then the light increases for all of us and it's a benefit for all of us. That's the draw for me as well, is uh, it's easy to feel helpless, you know, when there's when there's chaos around you and you feel like just, you know, when, well, we I don't feel like one person in billions. I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just this little tiny piece. But but I also really, really believe in hope and and the power of one and two, and three, and just doing whatever little bit we can to increase hope and light in the world is a worthwhile endeavor. 
It's a good thing. I think that brings us to our conclusion. There's um, just wanted to share this little poem by Walt Whitman and what Linnea said about kind of feeling small and just one in a billion. As you listen to this, think of a little spider and how small he is in the wide world. So this is by Walt Whitman. It's called A Noiseless Patient Spider. A noiseless patient spider I marked where on a little promontory it stood, isolated. Marked how to explore the vacant, vast surrounding. It launched forth filament, 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 out of itself, ever unreeling them, tirelessly speeding them. And you, O oh my soul, where you stand, surrounded, detached, in measureless oceans of space, ceaselessly musing, venturing, throwing, seeking the spheres to connect them, till the bridge you will need be formed, till the ductile anchor hold, till the gossamer thread you fling catch somewhere, O oh my soul. I just love that. I love the image of the little patient spider, small and insignificant, in the vast oceans of space, sending out its filaments one after another, just looking for something that will hold, uh, something that will be an anchor, and comparing that to ourselves, that this journey of seeking light and seeking truth and seeking for the anchors that will hold for us. We have to be patient. I know that there is light and truth out there and that it's within our capacity to learn to feel how truth resonates in our beings, to recognize what its character is, what it looks like, and then to absorb it into our lives. And that journey of extracting truth from life, of sending out our filaments, is the journey that we want to take with each other and with our listeners with all the light that we can carry. So thank you for joining us today and we will see you next time. 